The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. I'm your host, Vince Rocco, and you are listening to Good Morning New York here on the Voice America Network. Happy Tuesday morning. So, in a shocking development last night, Oscar-winning actor and comedian Robin Williams was found dead in his California home of an apparent suicide. According to investigators and uh, CNN, he was only 63. The Marin County Sheriff's Office said Williams was found unconscious and not breathing inside his home in Tiburon, California, around noontime yesterday and was pronounced dead shortly after. Williams apparently took his own life and has been battling severe depression of late, uh, and this is a tragic and sudden loss. The family respectfully asked for their privacy as they grieve during this very difficult time. I just wanted to mention him this morning because... I think everyone in Hollywood, everyone in the comedian world, everyone of the fans like us out here are mourning his death because he was such a great person. Um, what do you think? I have Ivy Ray in the studio with me this morning, and we were just talking a little bit about that before we got on the air. And I think he touched everyone in a certain way in his very comedic, his very quick-timing, uh, brilliant approach to to comedy and also serious drama. So I think, you know, let's... Um, Let's hope for the best, and, and, and hopefully he's off in a place where he's much happier and uh, all will be good for him. But we want to talk today, back to real estate, we want to talk today about rentals and leasing. In this town, it's not as easy as everybody thinks it is. You know, we're predominantly a sales-based organization, real estate organization, uh, you know, here in the town. But so many leases happen, so many rentals happen uh, on a daily basis. And the, and the marketplace right now is extremely hot, just like it is in sales. So we're going to be talking about um, all of that today with my guest. I have my panel, Niall Lundgren, Deborah Hoffman, Parul Brombat, and Rachel Altschuler. I also have Ivy Ray from Blue Realty in the studio with me today as we go forward. How many of you have rented an apartment in your lifetime, and was it a good experience or were there complications? For most New Yorkers, renting an apartment is challenging, but there may come a time where you find yourself changing sides. You're a tenant at one time, you're a landlord at another. Whether you're an owner trying to rent out your apartment or a renter hoping to sublet to someone, you need to follow you need to understand the following. Number one, know the rules and get the approvals necessary. Number two, make sure it's priced right. Just like in sales, if the if the rental number is not right, guess what? It isn't gonna rent. Number three, find the right tenant. How important is that? We're gonna talk about all these things, but number four, state your terms clearly. If you're the landlord, state your terms clearly up front because what happens as you go through the, the duration of your lease, problems arise because your, your lease didn't state your terms as landlord clear enough. Uh, number five, hold up your end of the deal. If you promise something to your tenant, keep your promise. Number six, make sure your insurance is up to date. You have to have insurance if something happens within the, uh, the apartment. Who's liable? 
Uh, and number seven, set up an easy rent collection method with your tenant. Do you want to have automatic bank deposits into yours? Do you want to check in the mail every month? Do you want to come and visit and pick up the cash every month? Make sure you clearly state how you want to collect your rent. As I said, with me in studio today is Ivy Ray. She's a senior sales and leasing agent at Blue Realty and is very successful. Also, our panel here to discuss everything about rental. Good morning, guys. How are you today? Good morning. (laughs) Good morning, Vince. May I say, here I go. Good morning, Vietnam! Yeah, I just want to, I'm bowing and no one can see me to Robin Williams. Um, What a gorgeous man and a brilliant light. And he will be dearly, dearly missed. And I I send out love and strength to his family. So. I, I totally agree with that. So let's let's um, and thank you for that tribute. Let's talk about <laughs> you know leases can be cumbersome in New York. In an ideal world, without lawyers, leases would be very short and simple, perfect actually. But there needs to be protection of both parties in case things do go wrong. What does the ideal lease give the benefit of the doubt to the landlord in all circumstances, or sometimes to the tenant? What do you guys think about that? I mean, who really is in control of these leases as written today? I think it's going to depend largely on, you know, there's a big difference in the, in the lease structuring in my experience from condo to uh, management, right, to rental buildings. And I think that one of the scariest things or one of the things that people need to look out for, and now I'm speaking on the tenant side, potential tenant side, is terms of the lease. And half the time, you're right, the leases end up looking like a long 10-page legal document. And then people, the the consumer feels as if they need to get an attorney to make their way through the lease. So um, um, I probably didn't answer your question. So do they tend to be more on the tenant side and more on the landlord side? I just think tenants, potential tenants need to be very careful to have things clearly stated in the lease. And I think one of the biggest things is that uh, if you're renting in a condominium, it's important to be clear about what will happen if the owner goes to market for sale while you're in your lease term. Um, true. But how often, how often do you think um, they need to be updated, for example? About what, Vincent? Um, the leases. For example, you know, let's say take a lease that's been, you know, you have a lease with the landlord and you've had it for, say, you know, two years and you're into your third year renewal or fourth year renewal. Do you think there are things in that lease that need to be changed? I mean, because I think life changes. I think situations mm-hmm. change. Building policies change maybe. And it's not always about the rent increase. You know, there are other things that, that you know, are – that reside in the lease that we certainly need to know about or, or maybe have make changes to. What I mean, do you feel strongly about things needing to change over time in the lease just because time has gone by? You know, I think um, it would be intelligent on a tenant's part. I'm going to speak, you know, maybe you could play landlord and I'll play tenant um, because I'm an advocate for them. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's an important, you know, position to take. I think that it would be intelligent to ask your, if in fact you used a broker, to be involved with him a couple months, him, he or her, a couple months prior to your lease expiring and ask if any laws have changed. If any of, you know, sort of the, so it's important to relook at your lease. And then I also believe that there's not a whole lot of mystery. If you've lived a year with an individual owner or a management company or in a condominium, 
what you would like to have amended in your lease has likely risen for you during the year. You had a landlord that gave you a hard time about having a boyfriend move in, or you found that the landlord came by and visited a lot. You know, you just have things that you actually would like to have amended in your lease. And by the end of the year, if you've had issues, it would be the time to put a writer together, which is a simple document that will be attached to your lease that would have uh, new terms. Niall, in, in your opinion, because I know you do a lot of landlord things, what, what are some of the, the hot buttons that landlords are looking for when they're provi- uh, providing leases to new tenants? Um, so when, when they're providing leases to tenants, I mean, are we talking about qualifications or just like the actual lease? Just general lease terms, yeah. Well, I, some of the things that are, are important with the landlords that I work with are when the leases expire. So seasonality plays a big factor in the New York City real estate market. Um, obviously, the summer months are when most of the deals are happening. So, for example, um, with, some, with some of the landlords that I represent, uh, the leases have to expire um, in May, June, July, or August. So, okay. for example, we have um, an apartment that's on the market for um, October. That would have to roll in uh, like 19 or 20 months in 2016. So the reason why they want to do that is because if they had their lease expire in December, for example, um, they would get a lower rent because um, there's not so much demand. If they have it expire in May, June, July, or August, which are the highest demand months, they're going to maximize um, their their uh, income potential for that particular unit. Okay. So let, let's get back to some of the things I started with. Like, in other words, some of the things that you need to know as a landlord, and then we'll talk a little bit about the tenant side. Mm-hmm. When you're putting a lease together and preparing a lease to go forward, know the rules and get the approvals. So, for example, if you're a condominium owner, you need to find out from the board uh, what the terms of leasing or subleasing your condo unit are. Why is that important? Because everybody thinks that, oh, I have an apartment. Oh, I'm just going to rent it because I'm going away for six months or a year. Why is knowing the rules important, guys? Mm. Well, it's important mainly because a lot of condominiums will charge you either a monthly rate, a percentage of your common charges, or something like that in order to have the privilege of subletting. The condominium is trying to protect itself. You know, nobody wants a crazy person next door. And landlords don't want to have that kind of person. Hopefully, a landlord is going to look at landlord previous landlord letters, really interview the person who's going to be going into the unit to make sure there's no red flags that go up that are obvious. Um, condominiums also have rules as to what uh, tenants could do there, meaning sometimes they have to pay an extra fee to use the health club or the pool. And who's covering that? Is the landlord covering that or is the tenant? <clears throat> Correct. Yeah, another policy that, that's good to know for the landlord are short-term uh, leases allowed. Is a one-year lease required? Is a two-year lease allowed? Are pets allowed as a renter versus a, a shareholder or owner? Uh, because those issues will drive the pricing of the rental as well. You get more when pets are allowed. You get more when short-term is allowed, and you can negotiate better on a two-year lease. Rachel, let's hold the thought on that because we have to go to break, but I want to come back and talk just about that, the short-term aspect, the long-term yep. aspect, et cetera. We will be back, everybody, um, after these commercial breaks. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Variety Channel here at Voice America. Don't go away. Streaming live. 
the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. And joining me, as I said earlier, is Niall Lundgren. He's president of his own firm, Dalian Realty. Deborah Hoffman from Town Residential, Perul Brombat from Core, Rachel Altschiller from Douglas Element, and Ivy Ray from Blue Realty. So, Rachel, you were making a point about short-term and long-term rentals. Very important um, for any landlord going to market or any tenant out there looking. What what is short-term leasing or renting in New York City, and why is it different? So, short-term it usually commands a higher rent, and they're usually furnished. But that doesn't necessarily mean a good thing for a landlord because it also could mean sitting on an empty apartment for longer. So if it's going for four to six months, you may sit with it for two months empty because it's harder to rent something that's furnished, um, although you do get more money. So it may balance out. The condo or co-op or building in general may not allow rentals under a year. So you definitely want to confirm with the board, with the building, with the landlord that they would allow a one-year lease and under. Um, Two-year leases are also a great thing for negotiating, as I mentioned before. Um, the pet policy, co- actually, guarantors are a big question for landlords to know in general. Um, will, will they allow a parent to guarantor for a child, whether that child is in school or does the child need to have a job? And does that guarantor then have to make 80 times the rent to qualify uh, while the tenant has times the rent to qualify. So it gets a little crazy. <laughs> let, 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 let's talk a little bit about the pet policy because, uh, you know, I have a pet. Everybody in the world knows Jet. Yeah. But um, uh-huh. the, the thing is, mm-hmm. you know, there are buildings who were, that are getting very difficult with pe- uh, pets uh, coming in, especially the rental buildings today. How are, what, is there a workaround to that? How are we getting around that situation? I'm actually working with a client right now with – a smaller dog the size of Jet, and it's like, well, okay, well, we're having a problem. And it's I don't know where to or how to solve that because where you want to live or the buildings you want to live in, et cetera, are becoming very difficult. Why is the pet policy in rentals changing so dramatically? Well, these people are just, especially in condos and co-ops, uh, we're looking at individual owners, and they just want to protect the quality of their actual home uh, they themselves don't really want to take on the hassle, even if they're getting an extra deposit or uh, getting 
you know, paid for any damages in the apartment when the tenant leaves, uh, they still don't want to have to then do the work, have the hassle of bringing in a contractor to fix their floors or whatnot. And so it's just sort of, you know, in a, in a market where there are so many renters out there, it's just easier for them to say no pets than have a pet potentially damage uh, their apartment, especially if it's furnished, then they also have to look into protecting the furniture, et cetera. I you have know, encouraged I some of my clients, if they're not comfortable with a pet, and I really feel it's a good qualified tenant, to put in a rider that supersedes the lease that they need to cover the floors by 75 to 80%. And that typically makes the landlord mm-hmm. feel a little bit more comfortable. And, of course, tenants are willing to do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah I agree that, that, with Perul because sometimes the problems with pets is not necessarily the damage they're going to make, but as she said, it was the quality of life. And I, too, have had problems with people who have small dogs because, you know, ones mm. that are a little smaller than Jet. <laughs> Many yeah. of them have the reputation of whenever somebody passes by their door, they all start barking. And I've gotten around that by having the uh, potential renters bring certificates of obedience training and have the landlord sometimes in smaller buildings actually meet the dog and sometimes it works. Wow, that's so creative. <laughs> that's, well, I was going to say that's very yeah, We're all creative, creative you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. You know, there's uh, big issues, I, I think. I'm a major dog advocate and I happen to have like 100 pounders. So there's, you know, how many years ago was it, you guys, that buildings, especially condominiums and some rental buildings, really started clamping down? And what I mean by that is that they flat out said no dogs, mm. entire buildings, yeah. where they made like so many buildings in the city have a 20 pound dog limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the if you're able to get your dog yeah. in, you know, now I like at 20 Pinus, for example, it became we were one of the buildings known that you could have dogs, period. And then we went to a 75 pound limit. Oh, they changed and, that? Design. Yeah. And a lot of people haven't been able to bring their dogs. And then there's implemented, it, you know, by the condominiums or the co-op associations that if your dog is approved in a sense, you then pay the building 100 bucks a month rent. So you're looking at 12000 additional, I mean, 1200 additional dollars on the regular rent that you're paying mm-hmm. and two or three month deposit ensuring the landlord will not. You know, it's... Um, it's unfortunate, and a lot of breed restrictions, which I kind of understand. The breed they, restrictions are getting even more firm. Let's put back on the landlord hat again. And so you're out there, and you're you know you have an apartment to rent or several apartments in a building to rent. I said earlier you need to state your terms clearly and hold up to your end of the deal. Why is this so important for a landlord to make sure that his terms are stated clearly? And then once the lease is written, he needs to execute on that and hold his end up hold his end of the bargain up to those standards. Why is this important, guys? Because, you know, I hear so many things about landlords changing on a dime once a lease is signed and once Mm. the tenant moves in. What are the terms that need to be stated clearly, in your opinion? I think late late payment, that's that's an important one. So I think when you're in a lease signing with with your, your clients or um, or whatever, you just want to make sure that, you know, if, if it, is it five days late, uh, late, is it a 10% fee, is it a $200 fee, a $100 fee, um, that's important. You know, who's going to pay for gas, electric, how is the trash taken out in the building, um, just, you know, some of the basics, uh, cable, for example, all those things need to be clear, who's paying for electricity, or electricity, heat, gas, 
Um, all that stuff is really important to be stated. Renters insurance. Renters insurance as well, yep. Mm-hmm. Sublet yep. policies. One of the most important things I also think is um, if it is a condo or a co-op lease, um, a showing policy. So at, towards yes. the end of the tenant's lease, you know, when is it that a landlord can actually have a broker or prospective renters uh, come by to look at the property so that they can actually replace the person still living there in the apartment? Parul, that's a very good point. And honestly, yeah. you know, I think we all, you know, run up against that when we have um, a seller who wants to sell an apartment with a tenant in it. And, you know, for some reason, things fall down in that regard and you can't get in. The tenant's difficult. They don't understand. And I often say to the to the seller, have you made sure that your tenant understands the term in the lease that says we have the right, you know, 45 days, 60 days, whatever that term is, to show the apartment? Sometimes they have explained it and the tenant says, who cares? I'm not paying attention to it. And sometimes they say, you know, Vince, I really didn't, you know, go over that with my tenant and I don't even know if it's in my lease. Right. It I, makes I it very difficult. So, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying it makes it very difficult for us on our end. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's really important to have almost too much in a rider than too little. Um, that way everything is out there in the open between both parties. Um, there are times when it really has taken me two or three back and forth between the tenant and the landlord to make sure that everybody can agree on all the terms, especially on furnished rentals. Uh, but I think it's really important to state those things up front to avoid any sort of conflict afterwards, especially when it's um, a foreign landlord because, or even somebody who lives out of state because, for instance, in California, um, sometimes people provide their own refrigerators or whatnot. And mm-hmm. um, if a fridge breaks in New York, whose responsibility is that? Who needs to be replacing that has been, has been things that have come up. And when there are uh, landlords who are not, from New York, they're not quite clear on those policies. Yeah, I and agree the security with you. deposit I think... also is really important to whether it is interest-bearing or non-interest-bearing, and a W-9 form needs to be attached in that case. Well, that's very interesting, and a lot of landlords don't even understand, mostly in, in private yeah. ownership condos, they don't even understand what that means or what they should do to secure mm-hmm. that security deposit. Yeah, I think it's really great, you guys, kudos, because what we're doing in this moment is informing. I, I find that there's often a good amount of information or intelligence or experience on the landlord's part. But those that are tenants don't understand, so I'm joining in on you on the importance of a rider. And the more you have in a rider, the less conflict, potential conflict there is moving forward, especially Mm -hmm. about maybe a condo owner wanting to put his unit on the market. And tenants don't even think about it because they've never been in that position. So the more in a rider, the better. Well, I wanted to ask that question, and and, and, Niall, maybe you can answer this for me. How many people really actually read the lease. And when you look at the, when you look at these standard, you know, leases that are written three, four, five, six pages long, of course, attorneys love them. Um, but don't most people pay attention to the writer of the lease, not the actual lease themselves? How many people read a lease? So I think you, you mentioned lawyer, right? So, you know, it depends, it depends on the client, right? Lawyers, most of the time, read every word um, in they, they want to know everything that's kind of going on, especially the writers. Um, some, 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 some tenants really don't even care. I mean, I've been in lease signings that have lasted two hours. I've been in lease signings that have lasted five minutes. It really depends on, on who you're dealing with and what their, um, threshold for, I guess, caring is. Some people are just are very diligent, but I think at the end of the day that everyone always reads the rider and I always like make a point of it. Like, let's read this and make sure that we really understand it so that there's, you know, that they're not going to call me up 
you know, 10 months down the line, he'd be like, hey, they're trying to show my apartment. Um, I think that's really important. I think another thing that's really important, too, on the condo or co-op side is when you're renting that is the, the option for re- lease renewal. So when you're dealing with a condo or co-op, um, you have to – generally, there's, there's a broker fee associated with it, which means that, you know, it's, it's going to be a, an upfront fee and it's going to be a little bit more costly. Um, so a lot of times, those, those tenants want to stay for longer than one year. So if it's only, you know, a one-year lease and they won't allow it to, that's really important to understand before you even, um, you know, get to lease signing stage because that could be problematic. Um, you know, some tenants don't want to be jumping from apartment to apartment, you know, on, a, on an annual basis. Correct. Let's talk about bed bug disclosure forms. You know, all oh. of a sudden, the past couple Ooh. of years, this has become very big. Well, <laughs> listen, I bring it up because in most other parts of the country, I'm sure they haven't even heard of this disclosure form. What is this bed bug problem, and why do we need to have it disclosed in a lease? Well, I would want to know if I were moving into an upscale condominium that they just six weeks previous had had a breakout. <laughs> I think we all would. Well, it's, it's only fair. The country. We, I, have a, I, I have a couple of buildings. As much as we do. Yeah, so that's why it's so foreign between the subway, the streets, the uh, the apartment buildings. We are very unique, so everything is very unique, and it just goes along with all the other things we have to explain to people. Yeah, <clears throat> I know that's a slightly uncomfortable conversation to have. Let's talk about bed bugs. Have, well, but but question to you, any of you? Have any of you had a a problem with going forward with the lease opportunity because in the investigation or the vetting of this particular building or whatever, you determined or someone determined that there were bed bugs. Has this happened to anybody? It hasn't happened to me, but I know it has. And then what do you do? I mean, you just move I on. I haven't had that issue. I've had, I deal with buildings that have had major outbreaks, but mm. I guess the, the people have realized that this is what happens. You know. Yeah, well, that, 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 that's, it's uncomfortable. You know, the other things that you look for in a fully executed lease, you know, window guards, smoke detector affidavits, carbon monoxide affidavits, lead paint disclosure, if it applies, recycling rules. I mean, some people move into buildings and have no clue what the recycling rules are in a building, and some people don't care to pay attention to recycling rules. Uh, rent stabilization, you know, house rules. How many people read the house rules, and what do the house rules, house rules state, and why is that so important? You know, these are things that, uh, you know, when, when you're confronted with a renter and, and, and a lease situation, I at least like to go through this sitting down with them and explain exactly what all of these things are. Most people don't know what any of these things are, and they get a little leery with needing to sign off on something that they're not uh, fully versed in. Situation here in New York, anyway, most leases are not run by attorneys like sales contracts are. I don't remember the last time an attorney was involved in any of my lease deals. Agreed. So, again, as I asked the question earlier, people look at these leases, and I don't believe that they read these six or seven pages of of legal language, they really pay attention more to the writer because the writer, in simplistic terms, outline what really is happening, how you're paying the landlord every month, what the lease term is, and any other special um, situation with uh, showing of apartment during the term of the lease, whatever. It's mostly re- uh, resident in the writer. Anyway, we are going to take a break, and we're going to come back and talk about a few other things, so stay tuned and don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back, everybody. I have Niall Lundgren, Deborah Hoffman, Perul Brumbat, Rachel Altshuler, Ivy Ray, and we're talking about leasing and renting apartments here in New York uh, for the last uh, several minutes. We already know that New York City is like no other place in the country when it comes to real estate for sales or rentals. So if you are planning to move here, don't do it blindly. We're going to talk about the the advantage of working with a broker in our in our next segment, but in the meantime, there are reasons that the apartment hunt is different. You need to pay attention to several things. Number one, the season you are trying to rent in matters. What do I mean by that? Why is that important? A renter comes to you and says, I want to rent an apartment. It's spring, summer, fall, winter. Why does the season matter in the rental market? Well, Depending a lot of it has season, to do with inventory. Oh, yeah, it just depends on how prepared you should be. If it's the summertime, it's hyper-competitive and People are literally running around with paperwork in their hands, ready to sign. So, you know, if you're just going out and, and, and browsing, not, you know, paperwork ready, you know, that could be problematic and you can end up losing, you know, the apartment, you know, of your dreams. So that, that's completely different from, you know, December when there's not so many people out um, running around when it's 15 degrees outside looking for apartments. So, you know, it really plays, uh, the seasonality really plays into supply and demand. Okay, we have broker fees here in New York City, unlike yeah. most other places in the country. And again, we're going to talk a lot more about the, the broker uh, input in our last segment. But, you know, for, for right now, this purpose is we have broker fees and, and lots of other places around the country don't. How does that potentially get in the way of a successful close on a lease or rental deal that you're working on? A lot of it has to do with who is the one who is renting, meaning if it's a student, they are completely blown away. They can't believe it. Half the time, their parent can't believe it either. Um, If they're looking in the summer, yes, of course, there's going to be a broker fee. That's when the most departments are there. The most leases are expiring. But many times, especially from December to February or so, many landlords are so desperate to get their places rented, they will give what's called an OP or an owner pays the fee. Because normally the renter will pay the fee. Mm-hmm. And do you people again? Do you guys feel like these are roadblocks sometimes in, in in the successful conclusion of trying to rent an apartment to somebody? Because again, we'll talk about it more later. But 
I have had many issues with this, and I and I sometimes scratch my head, thinking, "All right, so there's got to be a way around this." And I'm, you know, how do we? How do we? Yeah, do I, it? it's mostly psychology, and and when even when you manage your expectations and say there will be a broker fee, nine times out of ten they will say, "I don't want to pay the broker fee. I didn't know about it. I don't feel comfortable." So, you know, there's a few ways of going about it as a landlord or as a broker. You could explain to them that if you amortize the broker fee over the course of two to three to four years, it's actually not that crazy of a fee. Um, You can also talk to the owner about paying the broker the fee, um, I think as Deb just said, and that way you can advertise it as an OP and actually command higher rent, which actually is a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know what, and I think that she brings up a really great point there because I think that there's a, there's a lot of miseducation out there when it comes on the renter side. It's exactly here. I think that mm-hmm. a lot of times prospective renters get adamant about not wanting to pay a broker fee. However, effectively, that ends up getting built into the rent one way or another. So if they if they are focused on only wanting to go to buildings that don't have broker fees, the rents tend to be higher. If the owner decides to pay the broker fee, then the owner calculates that in per, into the rent. Um, so either way, it ends up being almost the same thing. But a lot of times I feel that tenants or prospective tenants sort of run around, uh, you know, and, and, and try to do this on their own without the guidance of a broker who can really narrow down buildings faster, educated about the market, can hold their hand through the process thinking that they're going to save money, but it's debatable how much money that they save or not. On the other exactly. hand, because because mm-hmm. brokers are nervous, especially the ones who are renter, rental brokers, that these, they're, they're going to lose tenants, uh, they don't just explain this up front as clearly as they can. I personally, and I think I have the privilege of not, you know, getting my bread and butter from rentals, maybe it's easier for me to sort of live outside of this fear, but... You know, as a broker, when somebody comes to me and says, I do not want to pay a broker fee, I say, okay, no problem. Here's Street Easy. Here are Nokia. You can run a search for Nokia apartments. Mm-hmm. You go on Craigslist and look for something. Chances are that it's going to be a sort of a, a switch and bait situation, but it's up to you if you want to check that. But go look at the no broker fees, compare them to any broker-owned listing, and then figure out the price difference, and you will see that what I'm telling you is the truth. And this way, if you work with me, you at least have me sort of structuring your process into the flying blind. Well said. Well, but, yeah, very you. well said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. very well said. And again, we'll we'll elaborate a little more in, in the in the next segment. But Parul, um, right on the money there. But let me ask let me ask let me ask you all because you know I I sometimes see a difference you know when I'm searching for sales versus rentals and the rental listings are not always. I don't know. Correctly populated. The the there's a lot of what I find white lies and often exaggerations in in rental text when you're reading or searching for rentals. And also, they're not always represented well. Obviously, floor plans and, and photographs are not as as accurate and as good as a sales listing when you're searching on the sales side for a buyer. How do you work around? You get somebody, whether it's a low end rental or or a very high end rental, and we all work with everybody. How do you sift through the the rental listings? successfully to come up with, I guess, clean, real good, worthy of showing properties? I think that's, that's not easy. And one of the things uh-huh. that I do and I coach all my agents up on is just being adamant about dialing. You know, I don't think tenants or, or prospective renters understand the amount of work that goes into setting up 
you know, a tour to show seven to 10 apartments. You know, I'm, I, I can make anywhere between 30 to 50 phone calls um, and, and sift through a ton of nonsense on my end. And I can only, and, and I'm a professional, and this is what I do every day. And yeah. I can only imagine what it's like if you're a normal, you know, just a normal person trying to deal with your normal job and then go do all this on your own. Um, so, you know, it, it really comes down to just dialing and really investigating. You know, I cross search with StreetEasy and then I cross with um, OLR and some of the other, you know, MLS type databases that we have here in the city. And you cross check, you call management companies, um, and the more dials that you can get out, I think the better, because that gives you actual real-time information. It's very hard to trust what you see online. And just touching on that point, Niall, it's really amazing to me as people are going outside Manhattan into Brooklyn and Queens, um, because recently I have a lot of stuff under 2,500 in Astoria, Long Island City, outer parts of Brooklyn, and it's amazing to me that owners and landlords do not hire the, the caliber of broker that they would for a sale. And it's, and it's really shocking to any good broker that, number one, you would get a higher rent, you would get a better quality tenant, you don't see pictures, you don't see floor plans, you see a web description that doesn't really convey what this interior space is like or the building information. It's one of my pet peeves that I don't know how to, how to fix as a community because it's, it's a big problem. How do we service mm-hmm. our clients if other brokers aren't providing the information that they should be? When they're not even able to co-broke, you know, you call them up in those outer right. boroughs, and they're like, "Well, I don't co-broke. Sorry, you can't That's show right. it." It's oh, like, I "Well, yeah. how do you limits your traffic. <laughs> it limits the amount of people that are coming into the apartment, which then affects your bottom line." Yes, yeah, doing the landlord's a disservice. Mm-hmm. It's a major disservice. Deborah brought up something earlier in conversation, you know, uh, about students. If you're a student, you know, whatever. So my next bullet item here is don't assume you can build a wall. Now, how many students come in, they want to share apartments, two, three, four people. They immediately say, well, this living room is great. It could be cut up into two rooms, whatever. The assumption is we'll just put up one of these, these you know, safe walls, you know, these, these artificial walls, whatever, and move on. What is the problem with these artificial walls these days? First of all, I think there's a law that says you can't do it in most buildings. That's changed yeah. in the last two or three years. Well, they have to be highly decoded. So they finally are coded due to all the fires that happened a few years ago. And some buildings don't allow them, period. Mm. And a lot of landlords, if you're doing condominium rentals, have no interest whatsoever of sharing, you know, having a, a three-student share and three different guarantors and a bunch of walls in their condominium. So, I, you know. Well, I mean, let me ask you something. That's a good point. So is it, is it really about the wall? Or the structure, the wall, or is it really about the fact that the landlord doesn't want? I think they're both the issues, and you guys can chime in on this. But I'm thrilled <laughs> about the law that was put in place a few years ago, as I just said. And then there's a guy called Doctor Wall <laughs> here in New York City, and he builds the co- <laughs> he builds the code walls. Mm-hmm. And but a lot of I guess in a lot of buildings, and you guys will say this because I haven't run into that a lot. Um, are case-by-case, case, allowing or not allowing, and then it's up to individual owners, and then it's whether or not you're building walls to code. And then in walk-ups and stuff, uh, you know, there's a lot of places where these walls are still just coming up without smoke detectors in each room and without, you know, it's uh, a danger, a hazard. Yeah, well. fire hazard. Yeah. yeah. There, it's a major you know, though, I, have, I have to admit, though, um, if I when I first moved to New York, um, I, you know, I definitely didn't have the affordability and whatnot that it really makes me feel terrible for the students because the city has become so much more uh, expensive since I've moved in. 
And I don't know how these kids who don't come from maybe wealthy families or want to try to do this on their own without going to mom and dad are able to cut it. I mean, they just have to move further and further outside of the city. And I really do wish that there was a happier medium solution where temporary wealth were allowed if the landlord landlord were to put in smoke detectors, so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're just not allowed by space, window, et cetera, sort of categorization. And it makes it really difficult for these young people who are really striving to make it in the city to afford to live here. Well, along the lines of what Perul just said, we all know and we joke about it among brokers, but it's a reality that there are buildings in many neighborhoods, especially Murray Hill, the far Upper East Side, Upper West Side, that we call the dormitory buildings. And oh, these, sure. these are the buildings. That, I'll share later. But That's a very big college camp. <clears throat> Let's hold yeah. the thought, guys. We have to go to break, but on the other okay. side of the break, we're going to talk about the broker and why we are okay. so important. Don't go away. Okay. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. You know, on the break here, we were talking behind the scenes about how important it is to qualify people, to vet people. But more importantly, it's, you know, it's so expensive in this town for younger people starting in. And before we get to the, the conversation about the broker and how important we are, I wanted to just ask you guys a question. You know, you, people need to earn 40 to 50 times the monthly rent to qualify for uh, lease. If not, they have to have a guarantor, and I think the guarantor has to have 80 times the rent. I mean, how on earth, and I mean this sincerely, how on earth do people come into this town and live here? I, I don't understand. Perul, you were touching on it a little bit, you know, in our break time here, but what, what, what how do people do it? You know, um, I, it's amazing. I mean, sometimes, especially with the rental prices where they are now, um, I, what I was saying during the break was, I, I genuinely feel for the young renter in this town, um, especially when sort of fix, fix it options like walls are taken away. And, you know, there are bookshelf walls that are allowed, for instance, but then you have no privacy. 
So it's really difficult. Um, one of the things that I think that is a helpful suggestion is guarantors. Um, even if you don't have a parent, if you're a friend or a parent's friend or, you know, whomever, whoever who can sort of, you know, come in and at least guarantor the lease at a hundred times uh, what your rent's supposed to be, then that's one option. And the other thing is if you are sharing with somebody um, collectively between, you know, you and the other person or amongst a few people or amongst a few guarantors, um, those are the best ways to go. And, you know, I mean, the the other sort of loophole around this is some of the smaller buildings, smaller owners, uh, maybe walk-up buildings, et cetera, will have less stringent rules and are going to be more understanding towards these limitations and, and accept a little lesser uh, of the criteria in terms to rent an apartment. Um, but yeah, it is difficult. You know, one thing I want to add to that quickly, because that is all really good information for the listeners, but another way to potentially get around it, because you know a lot of people, a lot of young people don't have mentors, don't have grown-ups in their lives that would be willing to put their name on the line, and don't have parents that make the kind of income that well, would be required my, for guarantors. Yeah. So it's really important to address those folks as well. And, you know, so then in that case also, they're not going to have three to six months rent for advance, but perhaps they could find that from someone that's older than them that believes in them. So there's always ways to be able to get in, you know, obviously a grown up can give cash up front, but if, you know, if you can that's manage. That's a great point that, you know, is the other way of getting around it is to negotiate, you know, a little extra rent up front. That's, a, yeah. that's certainly a, a thing that I think most, most uh, frustrated younger tenants probably don't think about to actually throw out there if that's a possibility. Yeah, I console or I advise a lot of these kids that are in their 20s because my son is that age and I know a lot of them. And we like go, all right, pool your money, borrow one month's rent from your parent, you borrow another, and then we get a deal for them with six months upfront cash. And, you know, and then they get a home. So it's another thing to... Guys, that's a great segue. So here we go into why is it important to work with a broker I mean, you know, on the sales side, on the lease side, whatever, but today we're talking about leasing. So why is it important to work with a broker and how do you work with a broker in a leasing situation? I mean, this is, in my opinion, instrumental. It's, 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 it's so important. But a lot of people out there think, well, I can do the no fee thing. I can do it on my own. I can read all these listings that may not make sense, but I can just go run around and, and find something on my own. Broker, why, guys? I think everyone's going to have something to say. I will open that up with, I, you know, we all agree with the, the term knowledge is power. And I think there's nothing more important than to endeavor on something like a year of your life and where you're going to be housed um, informed. And one of the things a good broker can do is inform you in every direction. Is, and as one of you said earlier, really hold you well, negotiate on your behalf and protect you and walk you through the process. Uh, so I'll just open it with that. And, and let's not forget the qualification aspect oh, qualifying. Of, of, of this. Everybody thinks, oh, I can afford that apartment. I'm going to just, you know, I can pay 2500 I can pay 4000 whatever it is. But does anybody know the, the backstory on the landlord or the, or the building or the condominium or the rental, you know, whatever? They generally don't. Guys, you know, when you're faced with a no-fee client that says, you know, client says, I want your help, but I don't want to pay a fee, what, what's, what's the workaround here? And then, Rachel, I think you touched on Pearl it earlier. Said earlier, yeah. it's um, depending on your client and the relationship you have with your client, you can either focus the search on no fee apartments and then still charge a fee for your time. It will be less of a fee for 15% versus one month, which is super helpful to your client. 
Um, but I like the rule. I have done this myself where I've said, especially for rentals under 3000 and they don't want to pay a fee, I say go to Street Easy, go to Craigslist, go online, see what you can find. But it really limits the inventory that you can see if you're taking away all the, the fee apartments. So typically they go out, they look on their own, and I would say 50-50, they come back and they say, I do need your help, or they find something no fee, and it works out because they appreciate your time and your direction in, in helping them save money. And I think that's who exists for, I, for what Rachel was saying earlier about it is flabbergasting, frankly, when landlords and renters have a lower sort of expectation or don't qualify their renter brokers the way they qualify sales brokers because the fact of the matter is is that um, those of us, I believe, who have a a better perspective on our careers and and what it is to be a broker recognize the fact that it's all about long-term relationships. So, you know, we understand when you are 24, 25 years old, even 22 years old, and, you know, really have to cut corners and don't have the affordability to afford me. So I would rather hold your hand even a little bit and at least give you some direction on how to do this without having to pay me a fee because you'll remember me two, three years down the line when you have a different affordability or you will send 17 of your friends saying, you know what, she's really trustworthy and she really cares and she's willing to help you. Agreed. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah well, well said. And, 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 but, but I want to just get back to the point that you made, and I think Niall made it earlier as well, that it's really absolutely astounding to me that landlords don't, don't look at us as the professional that they really need to help them find the right clients. And to that you know, comment, you know, why wouldn't they want to pay you know, the OP um, to the broker? Because I'm sorry, but vetting and qualifying people, and I don't care what price point it is or what age group it is, because we've had problems at the five, six, and $7,000 a month. Or the $12,000 uh, a month. Or the $12,000 yeah. a month. Listen, I had it at 49000 a month. At the end of the day, it's so important where, you know, but, but these landlords just don't see it. What do you think is their hesitation? Well, you know, I will, I will say this. I think I'm chiming in with, I'm sorry, I don't know the panel, so I don't know your voices and I don't know your names. Um, there could be potentially nothing more important. I remember I kind of came in the industry doing sales and then I started doing rentals. And when I got my first couple rental exclusives, I was, I'll use the term someone just used, I was flabbergasted at how accountable, how responsible I felt for, pro- for placing the proper tenant in an apartment. Because if you do it wrong, you've, you could be opening up a year of hell. <laughs> so, you know, the qualifying piece is really important. And the intelligence and the care and the, the transparency of the broker that you hire to represent your property I'm chiming in with everybody else, could not be more important. It's a huge And this is another point that I don't know if most owners realize, but when you rent for the first year or the first two years, let's say, and then you need to show the apartment again for the, for the following year, having a great broker who has a great relationship with the tenant they place makes yeah. it easier to show, makes mm-hmm. it easier to <laughs> relate to the tenant to make the bed, have it in great showing conditions so mm-hmm. that you can get a higher price. Those are things that, again, are relationship-based and maybe things that most owners don't realize are important but should definitely know at the end of the day. Like when I call somebody I place, I'm like, hey, I'm showing it again with 30 days notice or 60 days notice or 24-hour 
um, heads up that I'll be coming tomorrow to show the apartment. They go, great. They know me. They met me. They trust yep. me to be in their home without mm-hmm. them there. And that's, mm-hmm. that's priceless. Invaluable. Well, it's invaluable, and that's why I was was trying to get up earlier today. I just don't understand why or what the mindset is of these landlords when they know it could be a lot easier for them. Just just going through the paperwork, you know, and and, and qualifying people is is an arduous task, and we do it well, as Vince, as a profession. But Vince, I'll tell you, I know a lot of these private landlords, and many of them will not give an exclusive on a rental. And I've actually asked each of them. Why they do this? Because they're really rolling the dice, not knowing who they're going to get in there, what the brokers are going to do, and each one of them have the same answer for me. They say, it's Manhattan. I could vet the people as long as they're brought in, and everyone's going to be bringing people to me. Right. And whether they're right or not, that's what they say. And some of them have gotten, have had problems over the years, but they say, okay, it's one, somebody else will bring someone and I, I don't get it either, but that's what they well, feel. Uh, well, it sounds exactly like the seller who says, I'm not giving anybody an exclusive. I'm going to sell it on my own because I can. Yeah. And I'm going to put mm-hmm. it out there on Street Easy or I'm going to put it out there on the open listing you know, databases. And everybody's going to call me because they want to show my apartment. Uh, yep. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. And yep. when they I do, mean, are they coming with qualified it, people? I just that's feel like point. on both sides, whether it's a landlord or a tenant, um, I, I really believe that it ends up being Pennywise pound foolish because the fact of the matter is, is you know, if I, if my, you know, sink breaks, you know, yeah, if it's a simple minor little thing, maybe I can handle it myself, but I'd rather have a plumber fix it than have somebody like me who really doesn't know what I'm doing and, and hope for the best. Um, and there's so many nuances. Like one of the things that we didn't talk about is, you know, um, it is re-signing a lease where you're living at. Um, a lot of times, you know, especially when there's these landlords who just want direct renters, et cetera, um, you know, people move into an apartment and a year later, let's say they just sign a 12-month lease. When it comes time to signing the lease again, these landlords are very savvy and they understand that if you try to look for another apartment, it costs a lot of money to move and also yeah. to potentially pay a broker fee. So then they jack up the rent so high the year after, the year after that. And it's that point that this tenant who didn't want a broker on their side recognizes that, you know, they should have negotiated this or done that or had, you know, a cap on how much they could raise the rent the next year and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And these are just things, I mean, these are just a few things that we've brought up during this conversation, but they really make a difference to have an expert on your side. It, it really does. And like I said, whether it's a sales situation or a leasing situation, you know, the expertise of the broker who can vet and qualify, who knows the landscape, who knows, you know, everything there is to know about a transaction. Because sometimes it comes down to just the simple transaction. And if you're schooled enough or, or skilled enough in going through the transaction, that's, that's more than half the battle. Um, anyway, I wanted to talk, we, we were supposed to have today, um, Phil Corrigan, who's the CEO of leasebreak.com on the show. Cause I wanted to talk a little bit about how people can and do get out of leases. His company actually helps landlords and tenants re-rent those apartments. His wife, good news, had a baby yesterday, so he couldn't make it today, mm-hmm. but he will be back on, uh, later in, in the next couple of weeks to talk about justice. So we will re- be revisiting rentals. Um, But I want to tell you about next week's show. We're going to be talking about inside the head of a real estate professional, all the things that we do and go through, the stresses, the emotions, the joy, everything we go through in our head, what drives us and what haunts us as we go through these transactions. Why 
do these things become so stressful. You don't want to miss that. Until next time, thanks again for joining me. I look forward to being with you next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, live on the Variety Channel here on the Voice America Network. You can always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on voiceamerica.com. Remember, you can tweet us at vincerocco.com. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.